Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, uh, as we look at this passage together. And we pray um, that your Spirit would uh, enable us uh, to see Jesus and to love him uh, and to um, uh, live the way he wants us to. So we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, times are hard, aren't they, my friends? A number of people in our community have died this week. Others have lost loved ones. And yet others have been taken ill. Uh, it's all very sad, and many of us are feeling the grief. And then we think of Afghanistan. In addition to all the upsetting things we see in the media, we know our brothers and sisters there are facing terrible persecution. Young girls are being taken away from their families. Homes of church leaders are being raided and Bibles confiscated. Uh, and our heart goes out uh, to our brothers and sisters there. In our own country, there's been political turmoil. Uh, at the time I'm recording this sermon, we don't know for sure who our Prime Minister will be. But we do know that many people don't trust our political leaders. There's a leadership crisis in our country and a big question mark over the integrity of many of our politicians. And into this situation, the Word of God comes to us. Uh, the Word this morning was addressed to churches undergoing suffering and difficulty. It was addressed to the leaders and addressed to the people whom they led. And it's also for us today, for our leaders and for our congregations. At the end of 1 Peter, Peter tells us his purpose in writing this letter. He says in chapter 5, verse 12, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. In the midst of suffering, of persecution, of trials, we need to know the grace of God, and we need to stand firm in it. And the Holy Spirit through Peter has been showing, this, showing us this grace throughout this letter. Peter's told us that we've been bought by God, not with uh, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb who was sacrificed for us. We've been born again through the gospel, the living and abiding word of God. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We've received mercy from God. And he's made us his chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, the people belonging to him. And he has given us an inheritance in heaven that can never perish or spoil or fade. And even though we go through suffering now, all kinds of suffering, it's okay, because the inheritance we look forward to is in the future. And we can joyfully look forward to the day when Christ will return and his glory is revealed. And as we wait for this day, God calls us to live honorable and godly lives now, in church, in the home, in society. This is the true grace of God. But we must stand firm in it. Peter's original readers were faced with hostility and persecution from family and colleagues and maybe some little Napoleons in local government. But in a few years they would face serious persecution from the Roman Empire and he wants them to stay firm in the faith. Because in difficult times, whether the difficulty is coming from persecution like our Afghan sisters and brothers are anticipating or from suffering the losses that a pandemic uh, brings, the temptation will be to give up. And so Peter says in chapter 4, verse 12, Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. It's to be expected. So what do you do? 
He tells us in chapter 4, verse 19, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Trust God and do good. Now when a church undergoes persecution, the first people to be hauled up will be the leaders. A pastor in Afghanistan got a message from the Taliban last week and it said this, We know who you are, what you do, and where to find you. When persecution comes, well, it's, it's not really attractive to be a leader, is it? And so Peter, in our passage today, now speaks to the elders of the church. Uh, the Greek word here for elders is presbyteros, uh, which Anglicans have brought into English as presbyter or priest. They are the shepherds of the flock, that is, the pastors. And so functionally, the closest equivalent in our situation are the clergy and the pastors, though there's actually application here for all leaders. Uh, Peter, wants us to encourage these, uh, Peter wants to encourage these elders to keep on being leaders in spite of the persecution and show them how to be godly leaders in their situation. And in doing so, he identifies with them. He says in verse 1, he calls himself a, a fellow elder. He understands the weight of responsibility and the danger of their ministry. But unlike them, he is also, in verse 1, a witness of the suffering of Christ. Right? He's seen Jesus go through suffering and persecution at the hands of authorities. And so when he's asking them to, to, to persist in ministry despite persecution, he's not just got his own example to show them. Much better than that, he can show them firsthand that Jesus has done that as well. And not only is he a witness of the sufferings of Christ, he is, in verse 1, again, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Because Jesus who suffered has now been glorified. Uh, and when Jesus comes again, Peter and all the elders who are faithful and suffering like him will share in his glory. Right? Suffer now, glory to come. And so the application chapter from 4 verse 19, trust God and do good for the elders is to persist in their ministry. So I exalt the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of the suffering of Christ, he says in verse 1 and 2, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I remember how just after Easter, we were reading toward the end of John's Gospel together, and, and we saw the risen Jesus tell Peter to, to feed his sheep. Well, Peter gives the same message to the elders or the overseers of the church. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Notice they are God's flock, not yours. They are God's people, not yours. But you are to shepherd them. You are to look after them, uh, even though it's dangerous. Watch over them, lead them, feed them, nurture them, guide them, love them, protect them. Shepherd God's flock. And there are three things that Peter wants them to remember as they fulfill this role of overseeing God's people. Three attitudes he wants to see in, the, in all the shepherds or pastors, actually whether or not there's persecution. The first attitude is that of willingness. Elders are to serve, in the second half of verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. My friends, don't be a leader under compulsion. I don't see it as an obligation. Not, oh, I want to be a film star, but I guess I have to be a priest. Oh, I don't want to lead a growth group, but I feel the pressure from Dinesh. Oh, really, I don't want to help with kids' church. I can't stand kids, but Tim asked me, so I guess I've got no choice. And if that's the case, don't do it until God's changed your attitude. 
God doesn't want shepherds who don't want to be there. If God has gifted you with the gifts to serve his people, he wants you to be willing to use them to serve his people. But if you're not going to do it eagerly from a willing heart, don't do it. Shepherding God's people is a great privilege, not a chore. If you're going to do it, do it, verse 2 again, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. You need to be ready to do the work and to make the sacrifices that are needed to do this. You need to be motivated, not compelled. But being motivated is not enough. You need to have the right motivation. And so at the end of verse 2, Peter clarifies that motivation. He says that leaders should be doing it not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Right, we've read about the religious leaders, especially in America, who make huge amounts of money from people by promising healing and blessing and prosperity if people send them money. And people fall for it. But it's not just some of the American televangelists that are greedy for money. There have been churches in this country where pastors have misused their positions of authority to steal church funds. They're not true shepherds of God's people. They are false shepherds, like the shepherds of Israel in our Old Testament reading. Friends, it's really important to have the right checks and balances in our financial procedures. But it's even more important that we get the right kind of people to lead us. People who love God and who love his people and who are keen to serve. Not false shepherds who are greedy for gain. Peter says, shepherd God's flock willingly because you are, at the end of verse 3, eager. Oh, sorry, the end of verse 2, uh, you're doing it eagerly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That is, you're internally motivated, not externally motivated. You're eager. You don't do it in order, for example, to get a salary. Right? You don't pay our pastor's salary to do their job as if they don't want to do their job, and you've got to pay them to do it. We pay them so they can be freed from trying to work outside, so they can concentrate on what they actually eagerly want to do in serving God among us. Of course, we ought to pay them decently so they don't have to worry about money, but we don't want people doing pastoral ministry in order to get paid. In fact, all our leaders are meant to be internally motivated, not externally motivated. We must be serving because we want to see God glorified. We want to see his gospel go out. We want to see his people grow more and more like Christ. We are eager to serve God, his gospel, and his people. Eagerly. The third aspect Peter mentions is the attitude of those who are shepherds. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. So shepherds or pastors are not meant to domineer or lord it over uh, those in their care. Uh, ministry is not meant to be a power trip. We're not meant to be dictators who just force people to do our will. We're not meant to act like masters and big shots and threaten people or intimidate them emotionally or flaunt power. Uh, elders do have authority, and when we get to verse 5, we will, people will be told to submit to the authority of the elders. But elders are to exercise that authority in loving, gentle service. Uh, a few years ago, a pastor of a big church in America submitted his resignation. Some of you uh, know about this from the internet. In fact, a series of podcasts has just been released on that matter. Now, this pastor was not a heretic. Right? He actually teaches the Bible straight down the line. He was not involved in some kind of financial scandal. He wasn't unfaithful to his wife. Uh, his church grew from one Bible study to 13,000 members across multiple campuses. So why did he have to resign? Oh, in his words, pride, anger, 
and a domineering spirit. He was a strong leader who got things done, but he bullied people, he intimidated them, he showed anger and arrogance towards them, he was domineering over them, and that's not how elders are called to act. Instead, they are to be, in verse 3, examples to the flock. They have to lead by example. So friends, when we choose leaders, the first thing we must always ask is, are they setting a godly example to the flock? Right, that question has got to be asked and answered at the beginning of the process. It's not enough to have people who are skilled. It's not enough to have people who are knowledgeable. We need leaders who will set a godly example for God's flock. You lead by example. That's how you do it. And when, in verse 4, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown, the unfading crown of glory. All right, what the elders should be working for is not money or recognition or, or glory in this life. Right? If that was the case, then when persecution comes, we may as well back down because the risk-benefit ratio doesn't work out. But the shepherds of God's people are not meant to be looking for that. They're meant to be looking for the real reward, the crown of glory that Jesus will confer when he comes. He's the chief shepherd. The flock's actually his flock. And he will reward the under-shepherds who work for him. Suffering for Christ will be followed by glory with Christ. So if you're a leader in God's church, don't work for the fleeting glory of this world. In a hundred years' time, no one will remember any of our achievements, whether good or bad. It'll all be forgotten. It'll be all gone. In a hundred years' time, actually, that will come very soon. Just be a godly leader. Suffer like Jesus now. Receive the crown of glory that Jesus gives, the one that will never pass away. Peter moves on then to address the people the elders are trying to lead. And he says to them in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, that is, those who are not elders, be subject to the elders. Uh, we are willing to, uh, we, are, we are meant to be able to submit to, to, to the willing, eager, loving, non-coercive, non-greedy leadership of the shepherds that God has given us. Right, you see how that works? Uh, it's like in marriage law. Right, if a husband loves the wife as Christ loves the church and sacrifices himself for her, and the wife submits to the self-sacrificial love, well, that's a good marriage, because that's a, that's a picture of Christ in the church. But, but you need two hands. You need two hands to clap. One person cannot force the other. And it's like that here. You need godly elders who don't take advantage of people or domineer or bully them, but set a godly example and care for them. And you need godly people who are willing to submit to loving leadership. You get them both together, you've got a great church. That's what God wants his church to be. Right? But you need two hands to clap. One side can't force the other. So brothers and sisters, whether we are leaders or the ones being led or both, we are to be humble in our relating to each other. The way we express that humility is different. The leader leads humbly, uh, and those who are being led submit humbly. But the attitude is the same. And so the Holy Spirit says through Peter in the second half of verse 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. All right, being humble towards others means not thinking ourselves as better or more worthy of honor than others. It's, it means not, not seeking to exalt ourselves or making ourselves great, 
It means not comparing ourselves with others, trying to make ourselves feel better about ourselves by, by looking down on others. It means not being so quick to get upset when people don't give us the recognition or esteem that, that we think we deserve. In fact, just not even expecting it. It means honouring each other in the same kind of way that people in the world honour those who are above them in society. And we must always be humble towards each other. But verse 5 continues, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A quote from Proverbs 3. Friends, God does not like to see pride in his church. Pride makes ourselves the centre of everything, when actually that really belongs to God. Pride undermines the gospel. The gospel tells us that Christ died for our sins, and actually the only way to be saved is to trust in his finished work on our behalf, because we are unworthy, undeserving sinners, only saved by God's amazing grace. Pride says, yeah, but actually at least we're better than the other person. The gospel tells us that Jesus is our risen Lord, that he, that he really deserves to be Lord of all, that everything we should do should be for him. But pride says, yeah, but we also deserve to be little lords, and so we can also work for our own glory. Humility would make me stand before God, grateful for his mercy, longing to serve him without even thinking about comparing myself to others. Pride tells me that I must be seen to be better or more successful than someone else. And that's what I need to strive for. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He favours the humble. And we saw that last week when we read the Magnificat. And we will see it played out in our next series as we go back to 1 Samuel to see God bringing down the proud and exalting the humble. So don't be arrogant, or you'll end up being on the wrong side of God himself. There is no room for pride, no place for self-glory in the church of the living God. We are all here by grace. None of us deserve to be here. We're here because God was kind to us in Jesus. We receive salvation because the Spirit enabled us to humble ourselves before him. When we realize we actually don't deserve to be the ones running our lives, Jesus deserves to be, and we turn our life over to him. When we admitted that we were wrong to, to disobey God, that actually we deserve his judgment, and we swallowed our pride and said, actually, there's nothing I can do to save myself. And we just trust in Jesus to make us right with God by his death on the cross, paying for our sins. That's how we became true believers in the first place. That's how we stay as believers, by continuing to humbly rely on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's how we serve in whatever ministry we serve. And we know that whatever we do actually is by God's grace. It's God's gift. And whatever ministry we have by the grace of God doesn't make us better than someone else or give us an excuse to look down on others. C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian author of a previous generation, uh, was had this to say in one of the letters he was writing. He said, yes, God has been very good to me and allowed my work to reach more people than I would have dared to hope. But I always remember that he can preach through any instrument. Balaam's ass is the example I keep in mind. Sisters and brothers, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He favours those who humble him themselves before him. If we embrace pride and arrogance, if we try to make his church the arena for our own glorification, we are actually setting ourselves up in competition against him. And let me say, if there's one person you don't want to compete against, it's God. So let's cultivate an attitude of humility towards God, and therefore to each other. Because in the end, whatever our role, we are fundamentally the same. 
sinners saved by grace, deeply loved by the Father, and heading for glory. So brothers and sisters, where do we go from here? Well, none of our leaders are perfect leaders. We all let each other down. None of us are perfect people. The only perfect leader is Jesus. And he leads us willingly, eagerly, not for shameful gain. He suffered for us rather than domineer over us. And to save us, he humbled himself to death on the cross. Jesus suffered first and then entered into his glory. He is the true shepherd, the good shepherd. None of us are perfect leaders and none of us are perfect people, but all of us are seeking to follow Jesus. So let's pray for God to make us more like Jesus, even if he has to use suffering to do that. And after we have suffered for a little while, we too will enter into his eternal glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is our chief shepherd and that he is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. We thank you that we are his flock and that we belong to him. We pray for all the shepherds who serve you among us under him. May they always oversee us willingly, eagerly, not for shameful gain and not domineering over those in their charge. Indeed, may they be examples of godliness to your flock. And may we as your people submit to those whom you have given to lead us in a godly way. And may all of us, no matter what roles you give us to play, clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. Please change us more and more the way you want us to be as your people, even if it takes suffering to get there. Please may all of us hold fast to the faith in you through this time, and trusting ourselves to you while doing good. And please would you bring us safely through temporary suffering to the glory that will not pass away. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.